Today's New Testament reading comes from Acts 18, 1 through 17. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silence and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you, for I am many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was pre-council of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sostenus, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. This is the word of the Lord. Would you please join me as we pray? Oh God, we ask you that you would um, demonstrate your great power through your living word as you have been the entire service. We pray that you would bring um, the spiritually dead to life. We pray that those that are like a flickering candle would burn brightly. We pray for those, Lord, that need to be humbled that we would hear your word. But most of all, we long to see Jesus. We pray that you would uh, display him before us. In Christ's name, amen. I want want you to um, picture in your mind or think about one obstacle, one obstacle that you're facing right now in your life. It might be an obstacle related to uh, your work, school maybe, a subject that's hard for you. It might be a health obstacle, some sort of chronic illness. It might be a relationship obstacle you're facing. Think about that obstacle. And how are you dealing with it right now? Now, if you go and read... um, literature today on facing obstacles, uh, you'll get some good practical stuff like um, 
identify the obstacle, identify sort of the timeline that you think the obstacle will be there, break it down into goals, have a strategy, stuff like that. Uh, but by and large, this, the stuff that you see the most is uh, sort of a motivation to meet obstacles. Stuff that would say, listen, you have the ability, the capacity, these are the benefits of it. You'll uh, find out who you really are. You'll develop perseverance. You'll, it'll unleash new creativity. Lots of motivation. But I, I noticed something as I was reading through the literature, and that is virtually all of it was individual-focused. It was all about the individual and their obstacle and them meeting it. There was nothing really communal about it. But the second part of it was all of it was focused upon the individual's self-sufficiency and their strength to meet obstacles. In many ways, sort of like a, you know, a, a, sort of like a puffing up a little bit. So I was thinking about uh, this uh, show Meg and I stumbled on. We, were, uh, we took a couple days vacation and uh, hanging out in the Airbnb, and I think the Super Bowl was over, and we were like, you know, doing what everybody does, and came across this show, and it's one of the, one of the sort of survival shows. You know, in this one, there was a, a man and woman, and they're put out with nothing, literally nothing, and uh, into the wild, a couple things, a couple things. And in this case, uh, it, there was a single mother of two who, had, who was in the military. And then there was a young guy in his 20s who was a, a fireman and had some different other things. And it was really interesting to watch them interviewed before. Interviewed her, and there was sort of like a sobriety about it, a confidence, but a sobriety. And they got to him, and he was like, I'm going to crush this thing. He was going, man, I, you know, I'm made for this. This is what I do. He was just going on and on about this stuff. Well, you know what happened. <laughs> you know, literally, after the first night, he's going, we're going to die. He's going, we got to get out of here. We got to call. You know, we got we, we to get done. You, you need. So he, he left. Like, she's pleading with, don't leave. And he's like, you should leave, too. And she made it, like, all the way, almost to the end. She got hypothermia, and we felt bad. <laughs> felt bad. So, but I was thinking, he was really a picture of that sort of way, right? This is how you're going to meet your obstacles. We have a different picture before us this evening. One that I think is far more hopeful. And it's seen in the, uh, the ministry of the Apostle Paul. So we've been... Uh, watching Paul's ministry uh, as the church develops his missionary efforts. And let's just say, this guy's not a lightweight, okay? He's not a lightweight. He is a guy that was chosen by God to take the Christian faith global. Did he succeed? Yes, it's global. He wrote almost half the New Testament. He's able to perform miracles, He's able to heal people. This guy is not a lightweight. He suffered an amazing, unbelievable beatings and persecutions. We even see this in the scripture. And yet, the way that he deals with obstacles is anything than the modern version that I just described. 
Maybe you have this thought. I know I do. If I were more gifted, if maybe I had worked harder, if I was like really a blessed one, if I was really under the favor of God, if I lived in the center of God's will, then my life would be easier. I wouldn't face as many obstacles. And what we find here is that's not the case. But more so, God's encouragement is promised and met and demonstrated. So I want to look at obstacles the kinds of obstacles we see here, and then encouragement. Pretty simple. So four obstacles you see identified that Paul faces. The first thing is intimidation. The obstacle of intimidation. Now, intimidation can come in lots of forms. You know, it, it can come, maybe it's like a race you want to run, some health goal that you want to get to, some diagnosis that you got. Maybe it's your work setting and peers that you're sort of having to deal with. Maybe it's an intimidating boss. Maybe it's a, you know, lots of things to intimidate us. The other thing that can be intimidating are places. Places can be intimidating. I had mentioned, um, you know, before that, before we came here and did this ministry, uh, we were doing campus ministry up at Harvard and um, up in Cambridge. And I was up there just a couple weeks ago, but it felt different to be on campus because I wasn't hearing the voices. Like, what voices, Glenn? Well, they weren't audible, but at times they almost seemed audible. When I would walk into campus and I would, I would hear, what are, you, what are you doing here? You're not Ivy League material. You went to a music school. A music school. Don't you remember your, your SAT grades from high school? You're not an academic. I mean, what are, you, what are you doing here? But also, D.C. can be one of those places, right? An intimidating place. If you've come here, I'm guessing that you felt it. Or it might be intimidating in some other ways we'll talk about. But I was thinking about, I was about two or three years here, and um, someone in the church got me invited to these lunches at the Council for Foreign Relations. And so I uh, looked up to see what it was. And, um, and it was sort of like a, you know, like a small room. At one, at one point, uh, one of the guests was Madam uh, Secretary Albright. So I'm in this room with these, like, major people. Like, and, uh, and this was particularly for, like, pastors and Christian thinkers. So it's like, Oz Guinness is over here, and this guy is over here. And, you know, around the room. And no matter what I said, it always sounded dumb to me. <laughs> Just because who was in the room. You know, I was just intimidated. I could have said something brilliant, but it just sounded dumb. I was so intimidated. You know, it's an intimidating place, this city. Um, Paul has been to two intimidating places. Remember, we just saw he was in Athens, where he was mocked by the philosophers. He was mocked by them. And now he shows up in Corinth, another impressive, intimidating city. 
Corinth had, uh, had come from the ashes, and it was a stunning city by all reports. I mean, it, it had a theater that seated 15,000 people, this amazing basilica, Roman form. It had this like, huge fountain of spring water that people would come and draw from. You know, it had all these remarkable architectural things. Huge administrative building. The governor was there. What were the Pan-Hellenic Games, which were sort of like the Olympics, had just come back. So they had that as well. And then on top of it, they were the trade route north, south, east, west. Pretty impressive place. And it wasn't just the architecture that was impressive and intimidating. It was the attitude that was intimidating. We know this from Paul's own writing and the letters he writes to the Corinthian church where he remarks how they prized eloquence, sophistication, intellect. They looked down on him because he was working with his hands. You know, he was a leather worker, a tent maker. And then Paul says, in Corinthians, when I came to you, I came with fear and trembling. You know, what a, what a brave thing to do. To this audience, sorry, but he, he talks about his own weakness that he felt coming there. Intimidating place. How does your obstacle intimidate you? How does it intimidate you? So, the next thing, obstacle we see, is isolation. Now, remember, the nature of Paul's work was he would, like, go and start something constantly doing startups, and he would go to these grand cities, no connections, no networking. I mean, you walk in, he doesn't have a lot of money. He, he's sort of walking, walking into this city. No one knows him right off the bat. And um, we might think that because, again, the modern way would say that the individual meets the obstacles, and there's a spiritual version of this. And that is this, that if you have real faith, you won't feel weak before your obstacles. If your faith is strong enough, you won't feel weak before your obstacles. You won't feel isolated. That wasn't Paul. In fact, Paul, just like Jesus, who when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, told his friends, this is the Son of God who is one with the Father and the Spirit. What does he say? Stay with me. He's his friends. And so we hear Paul saying things like, Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Luke alone is with me. Book of Romans, he says, by God's will, I hope to come to you so I can be refreshed in your company. In 2 Corinthians, again, he recounts how he was afflicted and exhausted and how much it meant when Titus showed up. You know, he needed people. He needed people as he faced his obstacles. The idea of the individual that faces the obstacle, is a myth. You know what will happen to you if you just do it out of self-sufficiency? Self-sufficiently? Self-sufficiently? I can't say it. <laughs> Sufficiency. 
you'll either become an insufferably proud person, right? Or you'll succeed at one point, but then one day you'll face death. Or on top of that, you just won't be compassionate upon people. There's something about you and I as we communally bear one another's burdens and do obstacles together. It's a beautiful thing in the sight of God. It's being like Jesus. So I would ask you, um, are you handling your obstacle alone? Have you brought it into community? Third thing, there's the obstacle of limitation. Uh, Paul lived to build churches and, and, and spread the kingdom and build up the gospel. It's the thing he loved. It was the thing that he was called for. It was the thing that he was made to do, and he can't do it because he doesn't have the resources. So he shows up there, and he has to actually you know, do his trade hours a day. Now, he had a good trade, which was good. He could make tents. He could make leather, but he had to do it all day long. And on top of that, he was trying to build a ministry. We're told that he was uh, actually working out of the shop of Priscilla and Aquila, which meant most likely because the way those things were built, uh, they were sleeping up in the loft and he was sleeping around the workbenches and the tools. Talk about like, you know, going to bed with a job you don't want, waking up to the job that you don't want, right? This is what he's given. This This is the obstacle. I was thinking about a section in the book, Every Good Endeavor. Uh, It's a book about uh, the way faith impacts our work and our vocation. And in it, um, there's a reference to J.R. Tolkien's uh, story about a painter who uh, paints a grand tree, but he only is able to to paint one leaf before he's called away (laughs) to some heavenly uh, destination. And this is what Tolkien says. But then he got to that place, and there's the tree. There's the tree. All the leaves he had ever labored at were there, as he had imagined them, rather than as he had made them. Right? So just what what was in his head, the things that you dream you'll do, imagine to do, And there were others that had only budded in his mind, and many that might have budded if he only had time. The point is, in this life, even on your best day, your ideal day, none of us reaches all the aspirations that we want. It's an obstacle that we have to deal with, limitations. But what do we find with the promise of the gospel and the kingdom? What we find is, your good and godly aspirations will be fulfilled beyond, you know, I've quoted this before, you'll blossom in ways that you didn't know you even had buds. That's where we get this idea. At the end of Paul's life, he's able to say, I finished the race. One more uh, obstacle, opposition. We've already seen, as we've been studying this story, the tremendous opposition that Paul faced. 
right? Doesn't matter how called you are, chosen, loved, spiritual, tremendous, any, anything. You could argue the Bible would say that hardship and trial and opposition is actually a sign that you're a legitimate son and daughter of God. Woe to the person that just kind of like Hakuna Matata's down the highway, you know. Now, if God gave us the easy life that we really wanted, the one that I lust for all the time, I'd be cursed. I'd be cursed. Paul understands this. We're going to read this in chapter 20. He's saying goodbye to the Ephesian elders for the last time. And he says, uh, I'm headed to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me there, except the Holy Spirit has testified to me in every city there's imprisonment and afflictions. That's quite a like five, ten year plan, right? At times we're like, God, you know, tell me more. Tell me, tell me my future. And you're like, don't tell me my future, right? Sufficient is enough, the trouble we have each day. But Paul seems to know it. And toward the end of this passage, of course, after the time of peace, there's another united effort that's more intense. It gets legal. He gets brought before this tribunal. Before Jesus left the world, what did he say? In this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble, my followers. And so, you know, expectations are everything, right? Um, I would ask us this, more questions. This is like a lot of questions, rhetorical questions. Not really. I hope you'll think about them. Um, is your vision of your life more like a, a playground or a launch pad rather than an obstacle course, you know? Or do you only see obstacles as coming from God and not with God? Do you see them as punishment or partnership with him? Like he's throwing these obstacles at me rather than he's beside me and we're facing these things together. Because there will be trouble, there will be obstacles, right? They come in the smallest ways and the biggest ways. And for you and I just to go, all right, this is going to be life until I see God, until I see Jesus. So let me now get to the encouragement, okay? It's not just obstacles, there's encouragement. The first comes in the form of people, people. Even though Paul's alone in the city, it's not for long. He goes to the synagogue and he meets this couple, this married couple, who themselves have just experienced uh, tribulation. Uh, Claudius has booted all the Jews and the Christians because back then Rome sort of saw them as one thing and because of this agitation and struggle that's going on. So the Christians, even though they're, they're not agitating, they get tossed out. Priscilla and Aquila end up leaving, moving. They show up. And Paul meets them in the synagogue, and he gives them new friends. These friends uh, supply employment for him. They give him a roof over his head. And later in the book of Romans, he will refer to this married couple and say, they risked their lives for me at some point. It made me think, you and I tend to think our best friends are behind us. Like our best friends are in the past. It's hard for us to imagine some of our most loyal and sacrificial friends 
are actually in the future. They're yet to be. And it's especially hard, right, because of the city we're in. There's, there's lots of transition. Those of you that have been in the church for decades, you're like, you know, how many rounds of people have I said goodbye to? It's really hard. It's difficult. It's part of the grief we bear, right? Part of the obstacles, it's the already not world. Heaven's the place where we get to stop saying goodbye. But do you believe that God is determined for you not to be isolated? Is he committed to you not being isolated? We have to notice that Paul didn't just sort of walk around. He went to the synagogue. He did something. He went to the synagogue, and that's where God provided new friends, new relationships. You know, there's an old song from the late 60s and 70s, and the chorus is, you know, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. Really bad, like, uh, sexual ethic uh, advice. (laughs) But really good when it comes to loving cities and loving people. Your best friend might not be here. Your best friend might be here. We commit to relationships here, and we might find, wow, this person was provisioned for an obstacle that I would have never connected the two together. The second of all, it's not only people, but resources. So in verse 5, Silas and Timothy, his co-laborers, arrive, and we learn in the book of Philippians and 2 Corinthians, they actually brought a financial gift. And so that financial gift enables Paul to spend less time making tents and he can begin to build the ministry and preach and build up the church. And I was thinking back to when our church got planted. So this summer will be 20 years of the official startup of this church. And um, so what, what, what happened, short history lesson. So um, Tim Keller up at New York, Redeemer Church, came down to McLean Presbyterian Church over the river. There was a missions conference. And out of that group, there were a group of like 30 to 35 uh, people in the DMV and in the district that had a vision to want to start a church. Now fast forward two years later. First of all, they were looking for a church planter for two years. But the truth is, all these people were, you know, they got other stuff to do for a living. Right? They needed someone that would be able to come and uh, raise money, work networks, formulate some vision, gather together. In this case, Meg and I got to be the somebodies. And from those financial gifts, those resources, a church was born. I mean, I, I, you know, all the ministries that are born, all the partner ministries that were born. Two other churches were born. Right? Mission, global missions, just all these things out of a gift. The kingdom really does, God really does use our generosity and gifts to advance the kingdom. He does. And I just, you know, I get so excited right now. I feel like, I feel like we are finally rebooting out of COVID. And I, the spirit is just moving. There's momentum that's returned. God bringing people. Uh, God, you know, I was thinking, uh, uh, this last weekend, just an example. Um, you know, um, uh, last weekend, the young adults did their 
open mic. Nazare was telling me about it because she went. I was like, it just sounded awesome. Just this delightful time, you know, friends, inviting friends, bringing more and more and more people into the circle. And then, Saturday night, the artist in resident, we had a, at Meg's home, we have this gathering with art discussion. It was packed out. We had such a great, stimulating discussion. And then, 56 of us wake up, and we go visit Metropolitan AME, worship with them, talk with that pastor. This past week, yesterday, amazing, amazing conference with Alyssa Whitebrock. I just was thinking, man, this is really fun. You know, it's God moving among the people. Okay, I need to get moving here. Two more points, not going to be long. So he gives people, he gives resources. The other thing is perspective. He appears, Jesus appears to Paul one night. Now, this is interesting because we had just read that the ruler of the synagogue got converted and lots of other people had got converted. Why would Paul be afraid? Why would he be down? Well, you got to imagine the cycle of his life was exhausting, right? I mean, he's constantly on the move. He's got no, he's got no like, comfortable chair, his place. He, never, he doesn't come home. Some of his closest friends, right, he gets to see them here and there. And then when he shows up, he knows there's a really good chance. I'm a, I know I'm going to get mocked and hated, but there's a really good chance I'm going to get beaten within an inch of my life. And then it's just, you know, the discouragement, right? Even as much as there were conversions, there were also, you know, times where it was just like hard hoeing. And so Jesus comes to him and he says, do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. Two things there I think we need to notice. One is, you know, we hear that and go, well, must be nice. Uh, I got a pretty big obstacle in my life. I'm feeling afraid. But think about this. Jesus doesn't say anything to him that isn't already said to all of us already in the Bible. Right? Do not be afraid. When you walk through the water, I will be with you. When you go through the fire, I will be with you. The Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? The Lord is my help and my shield. This is why Jesus constantly is saying, fear not. Do not be anxious. Fear not. You're of value to the Father. The Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Right? But the second thing he does is this. He tells Paul not to look at Corinthian as if, Corinth as it's full of enemies, but full of friends. Right? He goes, I have many people here. And it gets to the question of, how do I look at my life? How do I look at this city? You know, do I look at it with the eyes of God? With, you know, God has many things he's going to do in my life. Many things. It's full of friends. It's full of prosperity. 
hope and a future. Blessing. Not in a cheap, superficial way. You know, where it's this idea of no obstacles, only good stuff. We know that's not true. There's going to be the obstacles, but even that is going to feel different. Even the way that you deal with the obstacles and the trial. Even the, ways that you, the, 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 even the way that you deal with the cancer. Or the relationship that has just been dogging you your entire life. Or the trial at work. You will not experience it as if you are godless. Because Jesus is present. So it's the eyes, it's the perspective. But lastly, deliverance. And I just love this. So with the change in the ruler, um, the party of opposition thought this is our chance. It's a political move. And so they move in to try to influence this new um, pro-council. And they bring Paul before the tribunal, which is sort of like the judgment place. You can even see it today, that platform, and there's an inscription. That's probably exactly where Paul was standing. And so they bring him, and it says... Just before Paul is about to, just before, just before, friends, right? Just before, why does God wait till just before? Oh, there are many times I would be like, it was just, you know, way before, way before. Think of Moses and Israel, right? God gives them this big, you know, I want you to leave, and they're leaving, and everybody, they plundered, and they're doing great, and they're marching along and singing, and all of a sudden, they're like, well, what's the, what? there's dust back there. Who's right? That's the Egyptians. Nowhere to go there. Nowhere to go there. There's the Egyptians. It's the Red Sea. Just before... Just before Paul's going to open his mouth, deliverance comes in the form of God who owns the heart of advocates and whatever he wants to do. Galileo, you know, it turns out he, he's a pretty, uh, he's got some weight, this dude. His, his father was Seneca, the famous historian and philosopher. And he's actually known as someone, Galileo, who's actually pretty integritable. But on top of that, he's a personal recommendation of the emperor. And so this decision that was made ended up impacting safety for the Christian mission in that entire area. A precedent was laid down. It was the first time that uh, Rome had made an official judgment with respect to the Christians. And so God goes in there and goes ahead. And he shows deliverance to Paul. And Paul's then able to stay there for a year and a half. It's longer than he's ever... Actually, that was before when he spoke to him. Sorry, I got that twisted. So, okay, this is where, this is where we're going to end things. That obstacle in your mind, that obstacle in your mind and all the things that you feel, the isolation, the intimidation, all those things... I want you to think about it in terms of the provision of people that God may, that he, not may, will give to you, the resources that you didn't expect, the perspective, the different eyes you could see, and the just-in-time deliverance that he'll bring, right? Just-in-time deliverance. He will bring that deliverance. How do we know that? Because the, the biggest obstacle anybody faces in this room 
is sin and death and judgment. And that's where all the stuff you read just sounds like cotton candy. You know, you're going to, let's see how much you're going to boast when you're on your deathbed. Or you're standing before the holy God of the universe going, I just have been ungrateful in my life. And I have, my life has been about like personal peace. And I haven't given you any worship. And I regularly fail to love you, right? I mean, just sin and judgment. How do I know he's going to bring deliverance? How can I preach to you with confidence? Because in you who were dead in your trespasses, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities, that's of the heavenly realm, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. That's how I know that he's going to do all those things for you amidst your obstacles. And for me, because he's already done the biggest thing. He's already done the greatest thing. I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, and I, you know, it's been such a great story. It's a guy I went to music school with, and um, went to me. I'll save you the story, but you know, when I knew him back, and well, I'm telling you the story. When I, when I, it, it's not going to take long, uh, really. Uh, so uh, when I knew him, we were in a band together, and you, you know, this band thing. The neat thing about this band, just kidding. I'm not going there. So, uh, so we were in a band together, and. Um, and at that time, I used to just pray for him all the time because he was just like anywhere and everywhere. So it, it had been like literally since we were 20. And over the pandemic, he was one of, I don't know about, I just felt like I need to find this guy. And it was, it, it was just really weird. You couldn't, he was, like, he was like off the grid. I kept asking, trying to find him. And finally, I got a hold of him. And we're talking and we're just catching up, laughing. And then he begins to tell me his testimony of how he's become a Christian. And so now we're sort of talking, and, you know, the other day, instead of talking about music, we, I wanted to talk about music, and we, we talked about God the whole time, which was great. It really was great. But he said to me, he said, it was my day off, I'm a pastor, you know, I'm like, let's, let's talk about music, you know, but anyway. But at one, one time, he just said to me, and he just said it with such authority and confidence, he just said, uh, Glenn, I am not afraid to die. To live is Christ and to die is gain. And when I, when I get that notice, I'm confident it could come today or tomorrow. I was just like, this guy believes Jesus has died and risen for him. Lord, we need that. Long for that for us. Oh, I thank you for these brothers and sisters. I think about the obstacles they bear. Hard obstacles, heavy obstacles. And I pray that you would shower your encouragement in the form of people and resources and perspective and and moment, just in time deliverance. Help us to hold together as a community. Help us not to face our obstacles as individuals. And we give you praise. In Christ's name, amen.